Welcome to Compassionately You. Here, we host conversations in vulnerability and hopes to help and motivate others. My name is Brie Luganbill and I am your host. I love to have different guests on to talk about a personal journey that they went through. Sometimes it focuses on internal growth. Sometimes it does focus on body image as well and how that affects our overall being as a person. Thank you so much for being here today. Happy Monday, everyone. This is Brie of Compassionately You, and today I do not have a guest. I'm going to be talking a little bit about my own body image journey because there's a lot that has happened recently, and I just want to be more open and vulnerable here so you all can know that while I interview other people and share their vulnerability, I also think that it's very important to do the same. A little bit about Compassionately You, which you've seen over the years. Um, it started in August of 2018, and we're coming up to it being close to a year. It is now end of May 2019, so it'll be almost a year running. Pretty crazy how time flies. And I started it out of wanting to show people that everybody deals with something in their own personal growth journey or even in body image or both and our connecting factor is that we can be open and relate we might have not always gone through the same exact journey and we have different backgrounds and different upbringings but there's usually something within our own story that we can connect with another human on at least one thing. And so I wanted to give people space to share their own story and feel heard while also having anyone out there who feels like they're alone in their journey or struggle know that they're not and that this person also has gone through something similar. Um, That's a little bit about the beginnings to that. And through then it's kind of morphed and changed into a wonderful way that I've learned so much about different things and different people and just how perseverant people are. I definitely feel like before the podcast, I was still my same self, still the same Brie, but I just feel like I know so much more about who is out there and what people go through and things that I never thought I would know or even hear of. So it's been very humbling, um, very educational, very just also connecting with people has been wonderful. So that is why I made the podcast. I was finding that people needed more than the 15 to 20 minutes of listening to a podcast or even being a guest on the podcast to not feel so alone and that the podcast was just the beginning. Others decided, oh my goodness, I want to learn about what it means to practice this in my daily life. And having those people, my coaching clients in my life have, they have changed my own life. 
I would not be the same person without every single one of them. And it really is humbling. And there's a reason why I do this. It definitely feels like my purpose because this is how I've always been. I've always been that person that people open up to, whether they're in the grocery line and I just give them a smile and then they tell me maybe something hard that they're going through. Or it can be really anyone. I've always been that coaching type of personality and I don't think I've all I've embraced it in the way that I have until I started Compassionately You. So I realized people needed that more one-on-one care and I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to open it up and work with people one-on-one and that way we could focus more on their needs and they could be heard in a way where they could truly feel heard without anyone else listening. Just me, just that safe person that's meant to guide them and meant to love them and be compassionate to them and teach them the meaning of self-compassion so they can start to use that in their daily lives. They can learn what that means to them and how they can exercise that as a way of mindfulness that's going to go with them for the rest of their life, wherever they go, wherever they grow. And they need that love from someone that's not just a friend or family member, someone that's a third party where they feel safe to be vulnerable and they can talk about things they need to talk about. So I'm gonna go a little bit more vulnerable into my own body image story because I think that's really what drove me to start this business. So I was born with a rare syndrome called Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. And with Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome, there are different types that you can have. And I actually just got genetically tested in 2016 when I was pregnant with my son because I knew that I'd always had this, but I didn't delve too deep into it in adulthood because it's almost like I just wanted to be like a normal person. I wanted to not have to think about my syndrome. I wanted to pretend like it wasn't there sometimes and just that I was Brie and I wasn't defined by it. And it's true, I didn't need to be defined by it, but I also needed to address it and also go to my appointments and stuff like that. So it has to be something that I do and has to be something I think about. We went and got tested, of course. That's always a very, I think the testing part, I've had lots of tests over time, is always the hardest part because it's that unknown and you're going there and you're you're getting tested and so you're getting what you need to do. You're taking that step, but because you have no idea what the answer could be and you have no clue where it might lead until after the results, uh, it's just that unknown. I have a hard time with change and so it's very emotional and also I'm a very person who likes to be a perfectionist and so that can be hard too, to be like, I know that my body is not perfect and I'm going to get testing back that confirms it, but also confirms that it could, my imperfection in my body could like maybe do something to my son, which is like the ultimate, oh my gosh, feeling like failure. Like I haven't just failed myself, like I'm going to fail my offspring, like what in the world? 
Um, and I know that's probably being a little dramatic, but I bet people have felt that way out there too. It was hard for me. And I got the results back and they let me know that I didn't have the type that was genetic. So that was a huge sigh of relief. I did not have that type. So my son was born very healthy. He doesn't have what I have. Very good. But then looking at the results, I saw that I was the rarest type of the syndrome. And I had more than one type, which I thought was very interesting as well. I had both 1C1 and 1C2. And that basically means that when I was in utero and developing myself, I inherited both of my father's set of chromosome 11 instead of being my mom and my father. So one, I like to do jokes sometimes. So I always joke and I'm like, well, I am a daddy's girl. So maybe that's where I got it from, you know, and that's like the part where I like deflect, you know, if someone, if I start to joke, that means I am probably deflecting it or I'm also trying to make light of a situation where I could take it and make it harder on myself. So either one, but that is the type that I have. And basically what that means is that there's one side of my body that's a lot different than my other side, not just in length. Um, I have a fourth inch discrepancy, so that means my left side is longer than my right side. So my right side's always trying to compensate um, because it's smaller. But not just in length, but actually in organs. Um, my organs are different sizes on each side. My muscle groups are different sizes on each side. And my bones are as well. And so what does that mean? That means that it is a little bit harder when you are developing as a young child to learn different things of it's harder to walk or it's harder to do those things because you're constantly a little bit more wobbly than the person next to you. And everyone does have a little bit of a discrepancy. No one's perfectly like symmetrical, but mine is to that point where you do have to go in for a different physical therapy to make sure you're <laughs> able to do everything you can do. And the other part to it is that there are tumors um, that can form in your kidneys. And you also have different type of filtration system in your kidneys that doesn't really filter properly. Um, it doesn't do what a kidney that wouldn't have Beckwith Wiedemann does. So what that meant was scary for my parents, you know, they have this baby, this firstborn baby, and they're told, first of all, that the doctor said I had Down syndrome, which wasn't true, but sometimes it can be hard back in the 80s to see what is what, because this was a super rare syndrome, and it still is today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they had to always make sure to go in. I went in for testing on my kidneys until I was 12, just to make sure nothing cancerous happened or other things. And also you're born with an enlarged tongue, that can be something that you get. And so that is breathing problems when you're young, as well as feeding problems. So I had a really hard time eating. And my mom was very perseverant in teaching me and helping me learn how to do that when I was a baby. 
Um, imagine someone putting on their pinky a dropper that only drops one millimeter at a time. That is how my mom fed me for the first six weeks that she had me because I could not eat any other way. I just couldn't figure it out because of my tongue. And that is a lot of, um, that's a lot of work. <laughs> so definitely moms of BWS babies are extremely, extremely crucial as well as dads too to the development of their child at such a young age. So I really thank my mom for all that she did because I just can't even imagine what that would have been like. So the enlarged tongue, the bone structure and the muscle structure being different on either side, the um, kidneys where you might have cancer, which actually when I was young, I did have something there and then it ended up just going away. Um, so that was kind of crazy for my parents. And then doctors couldn't really explain why the film showed that there was something. And then when they went to check on it again, there was nothing. So who knows? Kind of crazy. So all of that, when I was young, I didn't even re realize. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, I know that I would go to get checkups every six months for an ultrasound, but I thought that that was just something all kids did. Then once you get in grade school, um, you realize, oh, your checkup is just going to the doctor, doing a physical. Well, mine is this, 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 this. Like I have a, a bunch of different checkups that I have to do. And you compare and you talk. And so I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I still didn't really think too much of it. Um, I think I might have asked my parents probably, but I really don't remember. And then once I was more going through puberty, that is where I really saw the discrepancy and it was hard. Once you go through puberty, it's like, oh, I am definitely different and this is hard because I want to be a certain way and look a certain way because there's that pressure to look perfect as a woman as well as a male. but. Yeah, it's like, nope, I'm not going to look that way. And it's going to be just hard. And um, yeah, it was a hard time during that time. I think that was the hardest, hardest part. So then my senior year came around. I was super excited. I wanted to go and just graduate and go to college. I was going to be a social worker, maybe. I was going to be a photographer, maybe. Um, I just wanted to change the world and I wanted to, yeah, that's what it was. And I was in marching band and I started passing out a lot and I didn't really know why, or I would feel very faint, like I was going to pass out. And at first we thought it was just the Beckwith Wiedemann's, uh, I forgot to mention I have hypoglycemia. So at first we just thought it was hypoglycemia. So I'd be like, oh, you need to eat more protein. But it started happening a ton. And then we one day decided to go to the ER. And I was at the ER and they made me do a couple things. They made me jog in place. They made me lay down. They made me um, just sit up. And they monitored my heart. And the doctor that was on call said, wow, I'm glad we caught this. This person has, I just know, dysfunction. 
and that is just when your heart arrhythmia is not beating correctly um, it misses a couple different points that it should go through and then other parts of the heart kind of have to like go into backup mode to keep it going and that was my senior year <laughs> and then I went to U of M and they decided to do a couple more tests and then they said you know Oh, and I had a heart monitor on. Oh my gosh, this is, yeah. So I had a, I forgot about this part. There's too many things. Um, so people with chronic medical conditions can feel me because this is just like too many different things and it gets all jumbled in your head, especially if you've always had it since you were young and you just can't remember. I think there was, um, just a side note, I think there was something I saw on like Instagram that was like, when normal people go to the doctor and there's like a tiny briefcase, when people that have chronic medical conditions go to the doctor and like there's like five different brief briefcases full of records that they're trying to balance. So funny. Um, gotta have humor, right? So I had to wear a heart monitor in school for about a month and it was the worst. I hated it so much. I had to have the leads on. And then I had this little box that was like, supposed to look like a phone, but it was not like our nice phones look like now. There were colored wires that were sticking out and tons of them. And it was like this huge thing. And there's no way I could have hit it unless I wore sweatshirts every day and just like tried to like, yeah. So it just looked, it, oh, I don't know. It just, I didn't like it. And I remember just feeling so self-conscious about it, trying to joke around about it and stuff like that and when I would have something that it would record that was a different type of beat that wasn't normal then it would beep until I went to the office and transmitted the data over the phone and the way that the data transmitted in the office and the phone was like dial-up so my device is like being held to a phone and the phone is open and it's just going crazy and that how it would happen multiple times a day and so that was super embarrassing because it would beep like in the middle of class and then I'd have to go leave and then I'd do that in the office, not in a private room. Um, I never asked for a private room, but I never was given the option either. So that was hard because people would come in and out and see that. And so I felt super self-conscious <laughs> and yeah, it just was what it was. And that was what I, school was like um, for a while. So then I went to U of M and they did some other testing after that and they decided that I needed a pacemaker. And I was like, whoa. I think the whole time during it, I was very just like, I didn't really understand. I knew, well, I knew what was going on, but my way of coping with it was just like laughing it off and just trying to be strong. And then when I was told that that is what would happen. I think that's when the floodgates went out. So I had my surgery and it was hard because it was very pain. It was very painful to recover. I felt like a failure. And then also during that same senior year, there were some issues with my kidneys. And so we had to get those checked out. And then I had like a cyst that I had to get removed and I just, it just was really insane. I think that I went into the, I must be happy all the time. 
and I must survive all the time because I didn't know what was going to happen. There were so many different things that happened that year. So I think because I went through all those things, I realized, because I also suffer from anxiety and depression, I had a rude awakening and I thought, you know what? I need to be lucky that I'm here right now. I need to understand that I could have passed out on the marching field so many different times and maybe not woken up because of that heart problem. I need to understand that life is a gift. What I'm given right now is a gift. And yes, I need to feel my upset feelings, but like I need to do something more. Like all the little things about high school or all the little things about people and us just... You know, just all those little things that distract us and keep us from actually living in our own purpose and doing what we want to do and being living in the moment. Like, this is just, it's pointless to think about those things. And it's pointless to try to devote so much time and energy to lamenting on it or to whatever. Like, no. Like, so I started kind of changing a lot in that high school year. And I know some of my friends didn't really understand. And I totally feel them. I was just like a no BS person anymore. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I love you and I love people. But if you're doing something that's going to be self-destructive, peace. Because I don't have time for that. Um, Anyways, (laughs) and same with me. If I'm doing something that is self-destructive to myself, me, myself, I don't have time for that. Like, we need to do this. So that's a little bit about what it was like from being born with the syndrome to all the three events that happened in high school to make me really check myself and check that life is a gift and go, oh my gosh, it's time to make that positive change. And yeah, I think that's why I really wanted to share up until that point. I think I'll do another podcast more about my journey from then to now But why I want to share that is because I dealt with um, self-confidence issues for a long period of time. And then when I was faced with all these different events that were medical, when I was in more of an adult, like 17, 18, you're like getting into adulthood mindset, I could kind of comprehend more that, yeah, like I said, all that little stuff, all the little annoyances, all the man, like that daily suffering of life, you know, it, it, it can get us down and get us into a point that inhibits us from living more in the present or continuing to understand what we want our purpose to be, what our purpose is, and what we can do to really enjoy life in the present, but also change the world. And maybe that's a really high, tall order, but I really think that every person has a purpose and every person is can impact people, whether relationally, locally, globally, in so many different ways, and they have that potential. So I decided I wanted to make this challenge focus more on self-confidence and how self-compassion is a foundation for that, but what are the other components to that and how can we be more confident right now? What I said in a quote, I think it was last week, was... We need to look at our imperfections 
as not wrong or bad. We need to look at them as something that is actually really unique about us and then strengthen them. Strengthen them into something we're proud of. We are who we are for a reason. I believe so. So thing coming up is this challenge that's completely free and I would love for everyone to participate. Different tools of self-compassion and cognitive behavioral therapy to truly embrace that self-confidence is something we all deserve to have. Why I'm running this challenge is because I've dealt with all of this and I feel like we constantly are. I don't know, I think there's different ups and downs of self-confidence. I feel when you're in that space of vulnerable change, you can sometimes waver on confident and insecurity. And so when you feel like that and you feel that going, like what can we do to push through and not revert back to that insecure self or embrace that part of being uncomfortable and know that people know who you are and you know who you are and you're going to get through. So that being set aside, I'm really excited about this challenge because I just want to help people be more confident in themselves, especially coming to this summer season. What resonates for us in this season of our life, what our priorities are, and also making sure that we feel very sure of that and who we are. So that is the three facets to this challenge. So if you are interested in this, please email me, brieluganville at gmail.com, or you can also sign up. I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes so you can sign up right there to be a part of it. Again, it's completely free. We're going to do a journal prompt a day. You can work on this um, and participate remotely from anywhere you are, and it's only five minutes out of your day for five days. Starts on June 3rd. It's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed a little bit of my own um, body image journey as well, just so you can know a little bit more about me and my own vulnerability since I have everyone else share on here. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I hope you have a happy Monday. If you'd like to learn more about today's episode, you can go to brieluganville.com slash podcast. If you'd like to join our private support group, you can find us on Facebook and search for the private group, Compassionately You. If you would like to be a guest, you can email Bree at brieluganville at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great start to your week.